0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Rama Dolorosa. Rama Dolorosa's first experience of musical performance was in a church choir at six years old. Through the rest of her youth, she was immersed in music, at church and at school, and she continued her choral education in college. Though she now lives on Salt Spring Island, just off of Vancouver Island, for eight years after she graduated, she made a living as a traveling musician. De La Rosa has also had a long commitment to grassroots struggles for justice. One of her earliest involvements was as part of the continent-wide campaign in solidarity with migrant farm workers in Florida, She was later involved in anti-war activism in North Carolina and in campaigns against mountaintop removal coal mining. More recently, along with participating when she can in actions in Victoria, she's done things like raised money for indigenous and environmental justice struggles via fundraising swims around Salt Spring Island. As someone who is multiracial and queer, she sees helping to build bridges of understanding and solidarity as an important part of the work that she is called to do. At a certain point, Della Rosa decided that she needed to shift the focus of her passion for music. It was no longer enough just to entertain people. She wanted to use music as a medium to uplift, to educate, and to inspire people to action. Music, she believes, has a special power to open us up and to break down barriers, and therefore it is an important tool for communicating the values and ideas of justice-oriented movements to broader audiences. For a while, she facilitated a women's song circle and then a choir on Salt Spring Island, but as much as she enjoyed that, she decided that the kind of project that she was most interested in was something best accomplished not in the relatively small community of the island, but in a bigger city. In the wake of successful workshops at a music festival and at the Anarchist Book Fair in Victoria, she put out a call for people who might be interested in getting involved in an ongoing choral activism project. She got a good response, mostly from people already engaged in grassroots political work of one kind or another, and the resistance-rising choir began to take shape. The choir has completed two successful seasons so far. They start each September, rehearsing regularly in a community center in the Victoria community of James Bay. They take a few months at the beginning to get some repertoire ready, and then they put the word out to activist networks in the area that they're available to perform. In the last two years, this has included performing at a fundraiser for the Salish Sea Defense Fund, an International AIDS Awareness Day event, a road blockade in solidarity with the Unistoten camp and the Wet'suwet'en people, an action promoting divestment from fossil fuel industries, and lots of others. And they finish each season with a formal concert, which they use to raise money to support some sort of local or regional struggle for justice. And, to be clear, while the politics are important for the folks in Resistance Rising, so is the music. They don't just sing powerful original songs and updated movement standards. They do it well, and in six- or eight-part harmony. Currently, the choir is looking forward to performing at a couple of music festivals over the summer, and to the start of their third season in September. Della Rosa hopes they can recruit a few new members, too. She's looking to get the choir up to about 50 people, and she's especially looking for more tenor, baritone, and bass voices. And once the choir has another couple of years under their belts, well, who knows? De La Rosa says the members have already floated the idea of somehow taking the choir on the road. In the meantime, she's excited to see how the choir continues to grow and develop in its use of music as a way to contribute to movements for environmental and social justice. I speak with De La Rosa about music, about movements, and about the Resistance Rising Choir.
1: My name is Rama De La Rosa. I'm known best as an activist, a musician, composer. I'm of both Scottish, Irish, and Germanic settler descent, and K'iche' Maya, and Spanish, Italian, and French descent. And I live in the unceded Coast Salish territories of the Sayot, Sanchothan-speaking language group on Salt Spring Island. And I direct a activist choir in Victoria on Lekwungen territory, Our choir, Resistance Rising, is dedicated to building community, elevating awareness, and inspiring action by bringing the magic of choral harmony to the front lines of social justice and environmental causes. We just finished our second season, and we'll be starting our third season in September. I started performing through church choir when I was six years old and was in choral immersion through both church and school all through my grade school years and continued with my choral education into college. And then I lived as a traveling musician for about eight years. I lived solely off of my music, traveling around North America. Eventually, I came to a point... A lot of it was trauma-related, actually, but I decided that I no longer wanted to just entertain people, but I wanted to use music as a tool, a medium to uplift, educate, and inspire and bring more care into the world. I feel like the lack of care is a huge issue, and it's easy to understand considering that we're faced with so many big problems these days. It's easy for people to feel helpless and hopeless and shut down from that great sense of overwhelm. I feel like music is a really great way to get a message across during these difficult times that might be easier for people to hear than being shouted at from across a picket line or something like that. That music has this amazing ability to open us up to a place of yes, and that people might be able to hear our message of environmental and social care through our music. So the evolution was really, you know, I started a woman's song circle on Salt Spring Island in 2010, and I facilitated that for free every week for two hours for seven years. And during that time, I was able to cultivate leadership skills. I'm a bit of a reluctant leader, probably because I don't like authoritarians <laughs> and I never wanted to be one. And it was through Song Circle that I really started to see how leadership could be a service. And that prepared me for starting my first choir in 2016, the Sisters of Mercy Choir, which I named after Leonard Cohen, who had just passed away the previous autumn. And that was a really great learning experience for me. On Salt Spring, I found that it was more of like musicians who wanted to come into activism through the portal of the choir, And that kind of created an odd dynamic, being that people who were not really activists singing about activism, it it didn't necessarily flow the right way. And so what I've found in Victoria is that I've been able to really gather a group of activists who have a personal relationship with activism and history with activism and channel that activism through music. And that has been really profound.
0: And tell me more about your trajectory of activist involvement.
1: When I was 18 years old, I, through a number of circumstances, ended up being in the care of a Catholic woman who took me in. And I learned about activism for the migrant workers in Florida at the time we were protesting Taco Bell for the dangerous practices they had with the migrant workers, abuses in the work camps, and violating human rights and labor rights. So that was my first little taste of activism, and it really fit well for me. I'm not from a family of migrant workers, but my mother is an immigrant from Latin America. She was born in Guatemala. My particular family came from austerity, but I have lots of chosen family and peers who their family members were, migrant workers. And so I've heard accounts from a personal basis of the horrors of migrant labor camps. And I've always had a really big heart and a passion for standing up for what's right. And so activism really took to me. I took to it. My activism continued in the South. Anti war actions in Asheville, North Carolina. I participated in actions with Mountain Justice opposing mountaintop removal mining. In the southern United States, we did a die in in front of the TVA, which is the Tennessee Valley Authority, and we were going around door to door educating people and holding workshops and art builds and all kinds of stuff to help get the word out about mountaintop removal mining. In 2017, I became the first person to swim around Salt Spring Island. I swam 86 kilometers in the ocean to raise awareness and funds to help the Tslewa Two Nation with their lawsuit that effectively quashed the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. During that swim, I had an orca come and swim with me on the first day. I know, it's unbelievable, but it's there on the internet if you want to look up swim for the Salish Sea, and the orcas were a huge part of my inspiration for wanting to do that swim because the Kinder Morgan project proposed a 700% increase in tanker traffic, which would mean the virtual elimination of the resident orca population, so it was really amazing to have that experience. I decided to do it again in 2018 and I was able to do it better and faster and raise more money specifically for Georgia Strait Alliance with their legal fund to help get practical implementation for the Species at Risk Act. The resident orcas are protected on paper through the Species at Risk Act, but without practical implementation, we're seeing them continue to suffer losses and have unsuccessful births. What
0: was the transition like from running the choir on Salt Spring Island to starting a resistance rising in Victoria?
1: There's a lot of peace and lovers here on Salt Spring Island. There's a big meditation community, a big yoga community. There's a big organic community. And we have this wonderful local food, agrarian community that's very wonderful. But the activist community is really not so vibrant which is a little confounding to me considering that I feel like activism really should be at the heart of all of that. I feel like activism is, in a sense, a form of yoga and meditation and mindfulness and honoring life. And I just found that it was hard to really get people activated here is a bit of a bubble here. And I think that because it's cut off from the world a little bit that people are harder to get engaged with issues outside of their personal comfort zone. I found that hard to work with. Most of the big actions I've participated in were in Victoria, and I had some really good connections there. And I did a couple workshops, one at Cook's Highland Music Festival, which is a wonderful music festival that's co-organized with the coets and people and I did one in Victoria as well for the Anarchist Book Fair. And there was a lot of interest generated just from those two workshops. So a number of the people who came to the original first day of choir were either from those two workshops or had heard friends personally ranting and raving about their experience through that. So I feel like the community was really almost wanting it or thirsty for it. I feel like for us as activists, for people who care, it's really easy to burn out. And so I feel like there's a lot of people who are really caring, engaged people that were like, oh my God, this is a way to like be an activist and bring a little bit more joy into my life. And so it's been really well attended and really well received by the community.
0: What does a season look like for Resistance Rising? And beyond your formal concert at the end of each season, what kinds of actions do you generally perform at?
1: We take a few months in the beginning just to get some songs together. And then as soon as we're ready, we start putting ourselves out to our local activist community, letting them know that we're available to come. And so these are of course, unpaid performances. There's a huge focus on service to the choir. Choir members are not expected just to show up once a week for rehearsal, but there's a lot that goes into these actions as well as the production of the big show that we do at the end. We all do that together. It's all planned and prepared together. We've been able to participate in some really amazing actions. The first season. We participated in a fundraiser for the Salish Sea Defense Fund at the Victoria Event Center. We sang for International AIDS Awareness Day at the Royal British Museum. We sang for a solidarity action and road blockade in solidarity with the Unistoten and Wet'suwet'en people. And our concert in our first season raised over $3,000 for Matriarch Camp, which is a indigenous grandmother's social activist group that focuses on getting the fish farms out of our water. Fish farms have been, for the last 30 years, spreading disease to the wild salmon. And our wild salmon are so endangered that all the animals that feed on them are now at risk, including the resident orcas that primarily survive off of the salmon. And then this season, we participated in a banner drop over the highway. It was a Defend the Salish Sea action. And then we did a flash mob at the uptown mall where we pretty much snuck into the mall, set ourselves up to sing, sang a few songs, and then got out of there before the security could get onto us. (laughs) That was fun. And then we participated in this really epic divestment action in downtown where we went from bank to bank, the big five investors in fossil fuel industry, with a theater procession. So there were performances at every bank that were informing people about what was going on. And then there was real-time divestment where people like right there cut up their bank cards.
0: What kinds of songs does Resistance Rising sing?
1: Well, we do an original song by me called What It's All About. The chorus says, This land is truly sacred. This time is ripe for remembering. This way we're going to make a difference. Oh, the people rise up, going to show you what it's all about. The first verse says, People waking up from a long tradition, Mining and taken with a blind ambition. Before it's too late, we got to learn our limits. Before we learn to fly, we got to realize gravity exists. I wrote that song inspired by actually some of the New Age garble that I get here on Salt Spring, where you're always hearing about limitlessness, this New Age value of limitlessness. And I think about that within the context of the world, and I feel like it's that erroneous thinking that has brought us to the brink of extinction here, and that limits shouldn't be viewed as negative, but as informative in the way that gravity informed us of how to learn how to fly, right? We would not be able to put aircrafts in the air if we were not aware of gravity and working with it. So I feel like it's important for us moving forward as a species to learn to appreciate our limits and to know them as they're very valuable information for our survival. We do a song by Betty Supple called In Your Language, Betty wrote this song as a white settler ally of indigenous land and water protectors. The chorus of it says, They said no. They said it in your language. Don't you understand? Listen to the land. Tell me what about your grandchildren? What are you going to tell them when they ask you, What have you done? What have you done? This song is basically saying, like, we hear the no of indigenous people who are saying we do not want industry forcing its way through our territories. And we're repeating that with them. We're magnifying that no, using our settler privilege to bring awareness to people who might not hear an indigenous voice. I feel like that song is a profound tool as an in-betweeny, right? And I, I really identify with that middle path being multiracial and queer and having a lot of in-between experiences my own life. I realize that this is a time in the world where we really need to be building bridges between these communities and intersections to create a greater sense of peace for that greater harmony of the ecosystem of community, right? To be able to bring that balance in. We do a song called Oh Freedom, which is a liberation anthem from the civil rights struggle of African-American people in the South, originally made famous by Odetta. It was used a lot during the civil rights movement. It's a song of struggle and a song of resilience, and I learned it on Burnaby Mountain from a fellow named Reggie, Reginald J.R. Gillens, Jr. He had revised the Oh Freedom lyrics to talk about the pipeline.
0: And she's referring here to the Trans Mountain Tar Sands Pipeline expansion project.
1: And I felt like it was a really powerful piece because this song is basically meant to be a song that counters oppression. The face of oppression may have changed slightly, but it's still affecting people. Like indigenous lands are by far more affected by pipelines being pushed through than people would like to admit. So we're singing for survival this is a struggle that affects people's mortal lives, access to clean water, the violence brought on by these industrial man camps. So I felt like, oh, freedom was a really beautiful way to bring in that struggle for survival. He did this revision of it, and I took that idea and ran with it and put it into eight-part harmonies, which we were actually only able to render six-part harmonies because we didn't have enough tenor, bass, and baritone voices. But I'm hoping that we can get up to about 50 people in the choir for this next season, which is my ultimate goal. I think 50 is a really nice number to work with.
0: What kinds of feedback have you heard from people at your shows and when you've performed at Actions?
1: We've had really great (laughs) reactions. I think part of it is that a lot of times we are, I would say, preaching to the choir, but in this case, I think we're like singing to the congregation. We're at these actions and a lot of the people that hear us are activists and and like really feel a real kinship with the messages in our music. And so I think we could be singing really badly and people would probably still love us just because what we're singing about is so right on. But we are a polished performance choir. When you bring harmony into it, it's just like, you know, harmony's my bag, man. I think it's just such a magical thing. And we've been really well received. So I feel really blessed for that. Feedback that I've gotten about our show. The first one, people talked about a sense of community that they hadn't felt since back in the civil rights movement or whatever. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Most of the time when we see each other, we're on the front lines and we're on a mission and we don't necessarily have a lot of time to like socialize. And so this season what we did is we invited our friends the Raging Grannies to help us host an hour activist social before the choir concert began and that was awesome and people really enjoyed that and again hearing just how awesome it is to like be among other people who care There's a bit of a love-in. There's a lot of consciousness and love and care and really good vibes throughout the whole night. People talked about how good it made them feel, and we had really incredible Indigenous performers and speakers that really informed and elevated us. The only feedback that I got that was critical was that people want us to sing more songs. They wish that we had a longer repertoire. We're just in our second season now, but we're we're building. We're going to be working on that bigger repertoire and maybe one day we'll even be able to take it to Ottawa or something.
0: How do you understand that capacity that you've mentioned, for music to open people to new ideas and new possibilities?
1: I don't even remember where, but I remember hearing big choirs and live orchestras and symphonies when I was a kid, and having it wash over me like a supernatural experience and just leave me sobbing. It was So deeply moving. That's what has always drawn me to music is that something like that could have such power over me. Like, oh, my goodness, it just gets right in there. And I feel like that's something that I've always tried to cultivate with my own musical expression with the songs that I'm writing. During those eight years that I was traveling as a musician, I played mostly my own original music, which is very hard to do as a musician, especially a traveling musician, because people like familiarity. They like hearing something that they know. And so if you're going to take a song that nobody has heard before and make them want to hear it, you've really got to put a lot of love and time and attention into cultivating a really good sound that helps get in there. I don't want to be an artistic overlord or overly critical, which I think is a squashing of true art. But I did let my choir know that my personal belief is that when you give a gift, you give the very best gift that you can. That, for me, is a really important value. And I want to bring that into my music. So If I'm going to sing someone a song, I don't just want to sing them a song. I want to sing them a song that they're going to love that they're going to feel and feel connected to. So I try to bring that in to the greater voice of the choir, and we put a lot of time and effort into refining our music. But the truth is is that a lot of our members had never been in a choir before. So it's a huge learning curve. And it's crazy just to think like what we sound like on that first day where we can barely make it through the warm-ups. And then coming to this finished product where, you know, we have something that we can share with an audience and be proud of is really an amazing transformation. I may not have seen a lot of music and frontlines activism. However, historically, music has been part of every successful revolution. And so I feel like that's part of my inspiration, too, is seeing how art is an incredible medium for sharing thoughts and ideas and for social change. I feel like music and art, theater are all incredible mediums to convey information. How do I know that? Well, they're used every day as propaganda and advertisements, (laughs) graphic design and art for advertisements, jingles, commercials, all of that. You know, it's like people love beauty. I think we're kind of wired for that. Like, I don't know a single person who can, like, look up at a rainbow and not feel it. You know what I mean? Like, rainbows are just, they're magic. They're captivating. There's something about beauty that I feel humans are naturally driven towards. And so why not put that with intention? Like, beauty is used to sell us cars and hamburgers or whatever. Why can't we use beauty to serve a message of care?
0: What's coming up for the Resistance Rising Choir, both in an immediate practical sense, but also in terms of your long-term vision for it?
1: This summer, we have a couple shows. We're singing at the Bicycle Music Festival, and this will be our choir's first official music festival, which is fun and exciting. So this is Saturday, July 21st, 2019, in downtown Victoria. And then we're playing at Coke Music Festival in September. I don't really have a long-term outcome. This kind of grew organically, so I'm going to just kind of treat it like my baby, watch it grow, and see what it needs as it grows. For now, that means we had to move into a larger rehearsal space in our second season. I'm hoping to get us up to 50 people, which is my ideal choir size, and we're especially needing more tenor, baritone, and bass voices, and actually our high sopranos, too, we could use a lot more. And I do feel like at some point, once we've gelled more, and with a larger bass, we'll be more financially stable as well, that we could consider performing for Political actions that would take us on the road, for example, like taking it to Ottawa or like maybe doing a, a school tour or informative tour on our way to Ottawa or finding some sort of alternative fuel vehicle to take the show on the road or something like that, which would be quite the thing if you can imagine putting 50 people on the road. That would be nuts. But those were things that the choir brought up, that people were talking about having ideas and visions about doing a tour I toured for almost 10 years, so it's not something that I'm going like, to jump right into. <laughs> it's just really hard. But if that's something that we grow naturally towards, I would welcome it.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Rama De La Rosa, the director of the Resistance Rising Choir in Victoria, B.C. To learn more about them, search for Resistance Rising Choir on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.